We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 to start out this morning. Talking about uh, greater things, wrapping up our series on greater things. And sounds like Pastor Tim did a great job the, the last couple of weeks as he talked about greater expectations and greater awareness. But this morning I want to talk about greater fruit. And I know it sounds like kind of a churchy thing to say, but fruit is just the visible, tangible, outward appearance of what has already taken place inside. If there's no sap coming through the tree, there's no fruit. If that tree's dead, there's no fruit, no matter how good the tree looks. And so the, the fruit doesn't exist in and of itself. It's only from the inward flow that is usually not seen that we get good fruit. And I believe everybody wants good fruit. We want those tangible exterior things in our life that give us joy, that bring us pleasantries and stuff like that. But at the same time, understand that it comes from the inside. And, and I've heard this said before, and I, I didn't come up with it, but I believe it. Uh, good roots, good fruits. Bad roots, bad fruits. And the Bible seems to play this out. And so we have to understand that there are some things that as we look at that I'm going to bring to your attention this morning that maybe, maybe you say, I need to think about that, or, or I'm not so sure about that, but I ask you to go beyond the don't just shut it off, but actually go to God and talk to Him about this stuff. I have some questions this morning um, that I want to throw out there to you because I think there's a lot of things that people ask here. Does everybody face bad consequences? Doesn't everybody face bad consequences? How can I make good decisions? It's a good question. Is there a way to start over? And if so, how? What's the trick to getting good things in my life? Can I really change my life who I am, how I am, and my future. Well, let me just start off by answering a few of these. Number one, your consequences reflect your choices. No matter how much you pray, no matter how much you attend church, no matter whether you pay tithes or don't or any of that stuff, you keep making stupid choices, you'll keep having bad consequences. You want good consequences? Make wise choices. You want mess in your life? Just leave it to whim and just decide. Or even worse, use worldly values to make your decision, and you'll have bad consequences. How do I make good decisions? Put God first and follow what He says to do, and you'll make good decisions. Now, that's what's tough is most people, well, I don't know the Bible. What's keeping you from reading it? Facebook, TV, time. I'm not a good reader. Get it on audio Bible. It'll even read it to you. We've got so many ways to get the Bible in us today, just like the rest of our country. We've got more gyms and more best food than anybody else on the planet, and we're the fattest people on the planet. Not because we don't have the resources, but because we just don't take the time. But tell, I'm going to tell you, as a pastor that loves you, 
this will catch up with you. You will stand before him one day and give an account of your life. And you saying, uh, I wasn't a good reader, isn't going to float. It's an excuse. Is there a way to start over? And if so, how? Yes, there's a way to start over. It's called getting saved. You say, well, I've already been saved and, and things are still bad. Repent and start over. Repentance just means you turn the other direction. That direction you were going that led to all those bad decisions, turn the other way. Well, it's not so easy. Yes, it is. It's very simple. But it means that sometimes you have to make tough choices, not flesh choices. You have to make wise spiritual decisions. That person that's taking that wrong way, it's time to cut them loose. That thing that's taking you the wrong way, it's time to cut it loose. Those thoughts that are keeping you back and condemning you, it's time to cut them loose. God will help you with all those things. But you can't do it on your own. And that's the thing. There's people that try to do this on their own, and naturally it's impossible, but supernaturally with God, everything is possible. And that's good news. Next one's kind of funny. What's the trick to getting good things in my life? There's no trick. <laughs> There's no trick. Start living a biblical life. You want good things? Pursue a good God. You want good things? Find good friends. You want good things? Pray good things. <laughs> Pray His will. Can I really change my life, who I am, how I am, my future? No. But Jesus can. And this is what I'm bringing it back to. See, there's a lot of things in our life today that we try to do in our own power and we feel useless and we feel like we fail because we have forgotten that the key person that we're following and the key person that changes everyone's life is Jesus Christ. And without Him and the cross, we're just going through the motions. You'll end up right back where you started. It's a one-way street. It's a cul-de-sac. You'll end up where you started when you try to do it in your power because you're the one that got you there in the first place. But when you add Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't do this. I need you. And you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's when things begin to change. But if you can't do that or you won't do that, you can try all the self-help and self-talk and self-hypnosis and all the self that you want, but self is what got you there in the first place. You can't save yourself. You can't get yourself into heaven. You can't deliver yourself. You can't heal yourself. That's why we need a Savior, a risen Lord Jesus Christ. And that may feel uncomfortable, but that's the truth. But today we're filled with a lot more self than ever before. And I want to tell you, we need to be filled with a lot more Jesus than ever before. He has all that we need. Let's understand we don't get to set the tone, but we do get to be part of His plan. So join me. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 20. And I'm going to sound like a very old person here because I'm going to tell you some finites 
and a finite means that it's limited, and I'm going to tell you some absolutes, because this is what the Bible says. This is from the New Living Testament this morning, or translation. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. No, 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 Pastor. There's got to be more ways than that. Nope. There is only one way to get to God. And Jesus himself tells us how to do that. He says there's only one way to get to the Father, and that's through the Son. Who is the Son? Jesus Christ. He didn't say through religion. He didn't say through prayer. He didn't say through attendance. He said the only way to get to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. Period. That's the narrow way. And there's people who say, well, that's, that's hard. Nope, it's narrow so that you don't try to bring all that other baggage and religion in with you. <laughs> that's why it's narrow. It's like going through the turnstile. They don't want you bringing in 15 different things and trying to find five different routes. You go through this way, and then you know that you know. If you can do it anyway, how do we know that you didn't choose the wrong way to get to God? Have you ever thought about that? Oh, you'll figure it out. Yeah, try that sometime with the rest of your life. There's something wrong with my car. What should I do? Oh, you'll figure it out. Just start taking it apart. You'll figure it out. Or not. <laughs> I just bought a new thing from Ikea. I don't need directions. I don't need the one way to do this. I'll figure it out. Maybe. You enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Notice what he says. Look at the contrast. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who do what? Choose that way. This is revelation for some of you this morning. Do you know that you're choosing your eternity each day? Where you'll spend it? And you're either getting a little bit closer to heaven or you're getting a little bit farther away because you can either choose the narrow gate or you can choose the broad gate. And it's full of all kinds of things, even good things, but they're not full of godly things, and that's the problem. They can even be full of spiritual things. The Pharisees were spiritual people, but they missed God. It's like it's down to this one thing. And that one thing is me standing in the gate. And that me is not me, pastor, but me, Jesus Christ. Verse 14, but the gateway to life is what? Very narrow, and the road is difficult. Not because it's uphill, and not because there's pitfalls, but because it's too easy to look over and see the wide gate and all the distractions. And we have a tendency to walk where we look. And when we look and we see things that appeal to us and things that are easier, we tend to jump the fence and start walking in the broad path. And we say, well, it's only a little bit removed. A little bit removed is a little bit of missing heaven. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to have a false confidence in the fact that, hey, I attended church all these years, but you never got saved. 
You never got baptized. You never actually connected with God. You just come into this place on a Sunday, and that's all you do. The rest of your life has nothing to do with Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that's not the narrow path. That's the broad path. You're walking with everybody else in the world that believes in God, but have not made a single decision to live the right life. It says the road's difficult because you're going to have to say no to some things. And you're going to have to say yes to some things. And usually those things are not what you want to say yes to. Usually when God says no, we should say, you're right, yes. (laughs) And when he says yes, we should say yes. And when he says no, we should say no. But we tend to follow the world's example of what they say yes to and what they say no to. Notice what it says. Only a few ever find it. And it doesn't mean it's limited. It doesn't mean it's hidden. It just means there's few that actually choose it. Because remember, this is a choice. It's not hidden. I believe there's a big sign saying, narrow gate. It's right here. Called the Bible. But that's only for narrow-minded people. Thank you. I'll take it. All the wide-minded people are going to miss it. Look what he says. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. And I know in this passage he's actually talking about false teachers, false prophets, but I'm here to tell you that anybody, even a guy that stands behind a pulpit like this, anybody that picks up a Bible and tells you that you're doing okay and you don't got to worry about sin and the things of this world are all right, is a false prophet, and he's leading you astray just like a vicious wolf. Should we be worried about all the political mess in the world? No, that's not going to affect our future. Should you be worried about your spiritual life? Yes. That's the election you need to worry about. What he says... You can identify them by what? Their fruit. Isn't that interesting? And remember what I said fruit is. Fruit is the outward, visible, tangible substance of what's happened on the inside. So if they're false on the outside, what are they on the inside? False. They may seem like a sheep on the outside, but they're actually a wolf. You can tell them by their fruit. That is how? By the way they act. That's funny, isn't it? That God would, in his word, say, I'm watching how you live. And I'll tell you what you believe by watching how you live. Not by your faith, because nobody sees your faith. They only see how you live. How you act, how you love, what you choose, what you don't choose, what you spend on, what you don't spend on, what you do when you're away from this place, what you do when you're alone, what you do when you're with family, what you do at work. All of these things are being watched and seen and recorded, and God says, I can tell your fruit by watching how you live. Now, that's scary for some of you this morning, but don't get down on yourself. This is good news because he cares enough to watch. 
And then he brings this wonderful thing called conviction that our flesh hates. But because our flesh hates it, it helps us move back to the narrow gate, and that's why it's good news. If he just said, fine, just do it, and you're going to pay for it, that's not good news. The good news is he brings conviction that says, stop stealing, stop sleeping around, stop playing with your sexual identity, stop doing these things, stop feeding your flesh, and come back to the narrow gate. I love you so much, I want to see you at the gate. That's good news. But our flesh says, oh, I don't want to do that. That's not fun. I like the wide gate. I can just walk around and do what I want and then show up at church. He says, that's not enough, and that's not what I called you to. I've got something bigger than that. I've got something better than that. I've got great fruit ready for you, but if you want great fruit, you've got to make the right choices. You've got to make the right choices. Can you pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? Now remember, he's not talking to scholars. He's talking to everyday people here. And they knew the answer to those questions, right? Just like you do. Do you pick grapes from thorn bushes? No. You pick blackberries from thorn bushes, right? Verse 17. What a simple principle. A good tree produces good fruit. And a bad tree produces bad fruit. Now before you get all weirded out, did you know that if, you, if you're a bad tree, you can change where you're planted this morning? Maybe you've been the bad sheep. Maybe you've been the black sheep. Maybe you've been the person that you just had a rough life and bad things have happened to you. Can I tell you this morning, you can choose to plant yourself in a better place. And that when you plant yourself in a better place, you get better roots. And when you get better roots, you get better fruit. Because you're not stuck where you are. See, that's the lie of the enemy. That's the lie of the world. I'm, that's just how I am. That's just how my life goes. I've, I've just had these bad things. It's time for you to uproot from the bad and get planted in a different place. Maybe you need to get planted with some different friends, a different job, a different lifestyle, a different frame of mind so that you aren't reaping bad fruit all the time because you can choose to do that. You're not stuck. That's the truth. See, the false prophets say you're just a product of your environment. Somebody like me comes and says, I've been there. I've done that. I've seen it. And now I'm on the path to life because Jesus saved me and I changed roots. I know what it is to drink and smoke and party. I know what it is to have rebellion in my heart and to hurt people and lie. I know what it is to be the child of an alcoholic. I know what it is to be sexually abused. But poor me, you know, what can I do? I'm just stuck there. That's my life. Wrong. There's a Savior named Jesus Christ that changes all of that and says you were on a wide gate headed for destruction and you were running headlong into it. And then you met me and I showed you a narrow gate. 
And it's not easy to stay on the narrow gate. I'm just telling you that. That's what the Bible says. It's difficult at times because we begin to take our eyes off Jesus. At first, when we get saved, all we can do is see him and follow him. But then pretty soon, for whatever reason, once we walked with him for a while, we start looking around and we start comparing ourselves with others, comparing our church with others. We start looking around and pretty soon we start following where we look. And we realize, I'm not on the narrow path anymore. And if you feel that way this morning, you can come back to the narrow path. You don't have to stay there. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. He will forgive you, and he'll take you back to the narrow gate, and you can go again. That's the wonder of it. Verse 19. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is what? And thrown into the fire. Yes. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Now this is almost, almost sounds so counterintuitive today when it shouldn't. <laughs> because people want to say, you know, don't judge me by my actions. The Bible's going to. God's going to. And if you don't believe me, go towards the end of the book and you're going to see incredibly scary words. If you're not on the narrow path, he's going to say things like this, I know your works. He never says, I know your heart or I know your prayers. He says, I know your works. I've watched how you've lived your life. I've watched the deeds you've done. And those deeds reflect your faith and your belief system. And then he says something pretty scary. Because you are neither hot nor cold, I puke you out of my mouth. I wish that you would return to me. Come and buy from me. Notice what he says. You know what I really want? I don't want to send you away. I don't want you to face the fire. I wish you'd return to me. That's why I loved what was said this morning of the first works. And our first works is not getting rebaptized all over again, although there's nothing wrong with that. But the first work is coming back to Jesus. Coming back to that starting point of now I'm back on that narrow path. Now I'm back where I belong. I strayed. I'm back where I belong. And believe me, we've all missed it. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet His grace says we can start again. <laughs> That's the wonder of our Lord Jesus Christ but I want to talk about that one part that sounds like that God is so vindictive that he says that those that don't produce a good fruit are chopped down. I don't want you to think that he's saying that of you. What he is saying is you've been planting seeds and they're not producing fruit. And you know what you should do with those things so that you stop producing bad fruit? Cut it down. Instead of planting it again and again and again, cut it down and burn it in the fire. You cut it down and burn it in the fire, I guarantee it won't produce fruit anymore. The problem is, it's sometimes painful to cut those things down. They become our pets. They become our feelers. They become the things that we've invested in. Well, I don't know if I can leave him. I've been with him for so long. And God says, cut it off at the roots. Burn it. If I want you to have it, I'll give it to you. But if you can't cut it down, it's going to keep producing fruit. 
Let's go over to Luke chapter 6 real quick. He gives a, a continuation. This is Luke's version as he's speaking kind of in the same format, but he goes just a little bit farther. Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 49, look what he says. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Sounds like something we just heard. A tree is identified by its fruit. Notice, we've got this again. Trees are identified by their fruit. That's how we know. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes. Grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. Look at this. A good produce person produces good things from what? The treasury of where? Of a good heart. Now, what makes your heart good? Only Christ. Because if you read the Old Testament, it says our heart is deceptive above anything in the world. But we use that as a standard in our world today. Well, I just know in my heart. Your heart is deceiving. Your heart is deceptive. Your heart is full of 78,000 different kinds of evil. You can't trust your heart. Now, when you turn your heart over to Jesus, maybe. <laughs> and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart, because that's where the intent is. What you say flows from what is in your heart. How you act is also an overflow from your heart. What you don't say is an overflow from your heart. It's not a behavioral action. You can control your behavior. But from your heart, you act. You may even know. Come on, and you don't have to raise your hand. Please don't. But some of us, you know the way you're supposed to respond, but somebody hurts your heart, and how do you respond? You attack instead of grace, mercy, forgiveness. You know those things, and afterwards you say, oh, I should have. See, you knew it, and we've all been there. You knew what you should have done, but you forgot it because your heart got in the way. And you don't know how many lives have been shipwrecked because they followed some young man or some young woman because they followed their heart. When everybody else was appealing to their head, Think this through. He's a bum. Think this through. She's after your money. Think this through. No, you don't understand. My heart wants what it wants. Well, it wants the wide path. Your spirit wants the narrow path. Look what he says. What you say flows from what is in your heart, verse 46. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? See the disconnect? The words are saying one thing. You're my Lord. You're my master. Just don't tell me what to do. You're my Savior. You're my risen Lord. Just don't tell me how to run my life. And he says, those things don't line up. And we now see your fruit. What do we call somebody that proclaims Jesus but doesn't live a Christian lifestyle? In the world today, we call them Christians. 
but we don't call them Jesus followers. And there's a big difference. Many people call themselves Christians. But few in today's economy are actually following the teachings of Jesus. I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, me capitalized Jesus, listens to my teachings, and, this is important, and does it or follows it. You see those three things? First, they come to me, they come to Jesus. They hear or they read what I say. And then the most important part, the part that sets us apart or should from the rest of the world is they actually do it. So when we come to him and we hear what he says and don't do it, he talks about it. Look what he says. I'm going to tell you a parable. The person who actually listens and does it is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock, on my teachings. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. Notice that trouble comes to that person who's built their house correctly, right? Nature happens, life happens. The storm waters rise and beat against it, and yet it holds firm because they listened to the master. Let's continue. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. What was the difference? Same wood used to build the structure. Same builder. Same nails. What was the difference? No foundation. Who is the foundation? Jesus Christ and His Word. And it's not enough... I want to remind you, it's not enough to just admit there's a Jesus, but to actually listen and obey. Now, this may sound negative this morning, but I want you to get it. I am sick and tired of hearing about potential. So-and-so has got great potential. Oh, did you see them? They've got great potential. God doesn't give a squat about potential. He uses nobodies from nowhere to do incredible things. You know what God cares about? Obedience. Potential can be at zero. Obedience is what He wants. He says it over and over. I desire obedience more than sacrifice. You want to impress me? Quit fasting and obey me. You want to impress me? Knock your fancy prayers down and obey me. You want to show me that you love me? Obey me. You want to show me your fruit? Obey me. And therein lies the problem today, is we've got a generation, and not just young people, but a generation of 
Christians that have no intention of following Jesus and yet call themselves Christians. And it sends the wrong message, and then we wonder why we have such a hard time. This is a pretty basic principle. But Jesus gives the answer. It's not just enough to know him. It's not just enough to hear him. It all hinges on obedience. So how do we get good fruit? Glad you asked. Matthew chapter 3 tells us, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of what? Repentance. You're getting bad fruit. You're getting bad results. You're making bad decisions. And it doesn't have to stop there. You don't have to continue on that path. This is the great news of the, of the gospel. You've got a Savior who went to bat for you. Therefore, you can bear fruits worthy of repentance. Churches can bear fruit worthy of repentance. Any church that's been stuck in splits, been stuck in mess, been stuck in power struggles, they can have good fruit by bearing fruit worthy of repentance, which means they're no longer walking in it. Just like you and me this morning. You want to wonder how to get out of it? Stop walking in that direction. Get out of that rut and find the narrow path again. Look what he says. Do not think to say to yourselves, we've got Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up. And he goes through this thing, but what he's really saying is, quit making excuses. You really want to have good fruit? Repent. Don't beat yourself up. Don't feel guilty. You don't even need to pray and hope. You need to repent and begin to bear fruit. Notice that there's fruit that begins to get born out of repentance. Isn't that amazing? Because now you're planting new seeds. How do we do this? A couple simple things. You need to take responsibility and take action. Stop blaming your mom or your daddy, the last church, this, that, or the other thing. You take responsibility, and then you have to take action. You can't wait for somebody else to do it. You take responsibility, and you take action in your life. Well, if my husband would just go to counseling with me, you go to counseling. You're half the problem. <laughs> Believe me, if he wasn't married to you, he wouldn't have wedding problems. He'd have problems with somebody else. If you weren't married to him, you wouldn't have marriage problems. You'd have them with somebody else. Secondly, don't try to tame it. Don't try to blame it. And definitely don't try to nurse it. Cut it down and burn it. You know the areas in your life. Right now when I'm talking, you know the areas in your life that are outside of God's premises, and you know that they're bearing bad fruit. Cut it down. Just cut it down. Treat it like it's full of termites. Treat it like it's ruined. Treat it like it's blocking your view because it is. And cut it down. And then don't stack it up. <laughs> Burn it. Burning it means you're completely offering it to God, just like in the Old Testament. He'd say, I want you to decimate that city and burn it. I don't want anything left. I don't want it to regrow. I want it gone, and I'll take care of it. And that's what he's telling you. 
Because if you don't take care of it, you'll leave the root. We all know this here. How hard is it to kill blackberry bushes? How hard is it to kill dandelions? It's easy to weed whack them. And they don't look like they're in your yard. But have you killed the root? It will come up again, won't it? And it'll even come up someplace else. We need to cut down every tree, not the people. You cut down all those excuses, all those decisions, all those things that are keeping you from the narrow path. You cut those things down, the things that are bearing bad fruit. Pastor, how do I know it's bearing bad fruit? Line it up with this word and you'll know whether it's bad fruit or not. Is that person you're with lining up with the Bible, the person that you should be with? You need to figure that out. Now listen carefully. If you're already married, you've made a covenant, a bond, and that doesn't give you the right to divorce them. You don't get to say, well, Pastor said I should get rid of this bad fruit, and you're bad fruit. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not giving you that leeway. You've already made an agreement. <laughs> but that means you can start sowing good seeds. You can stop the negative behavior and the accusations and the blaming and the games and all the mess that you've been doing, and you can cut it right now. We get rid of every excuse, every wrong action, all the thinking and planning and all that mess that isn't godly, and it'll very clearly point us right back to the narrow path. And I'm not just talking about an individual. Church, I'm talking about us as a church. It's time to quit fooling around with stuff from the past. It's time to quit bemoaning what used to be, could have been, should have been, would have been. It's time to quit excusing our, quote, lack of time and not winning the lost and not caring about missions and not praying and not seeing the world changed. We were put on this planet to be agents of change for greater things than this. Not to be subordinate, not to be mediocre, not to be hiding in a building, not to be pathetic believers, but to do greater things than these. And maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe you never thought that before. But he's made you for something great. But the more we excuse it away, the more we make ourselves busy, the more we adopt worldly values, the more we embrace the wide gate mentality. We're drifting farther and farther from the narrow gate which leads us to life. Not just the eternal life, but life as a church. It's simple, but not easy. If we want greater fruit, it's going to require a greater repentance. Repenting of our attitudes. Repenting of our slackness. And I'm not even talking about sin. I'm just talking about the wasted portions of our lives. And I don't know if it's, if it's just me or you're sensing this too, but... There seems to be an overwhelming desire for a lot of me time in people's lives. 
But can I tell you, we weren't put here for us. We were put here for him. There's a world dependent on us. There's a community longing for a church in our area to wake up and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a community waiting to hear truth that doesn't sound like condemnation, <laughs> that sounds like love and a do-over. There's a community that wants to be welcomed without being judged. You see, these trees that he's judging aren't sinful people. They're people that claim to know him. And he says, you say you know me, but you don't. If you read the end of that, he actually says, you're going to say to me in this day, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, but I never knew you. And I don't think we've got to focus on that. We've got a lot to focus on already. So I'm not here to guilt you or shame you. I hope I can inspire you to do what we know we should do, what you're made to do. Yeah, you sitting right there, the housewife. You've got an incredible story other people need to hear about how Jesus saved you. You, the teacher. You, the electrician. You, the plant worker. You, the student. But if we be quiet, we're just pointing people to the wide gate. They need the truth. They need Jesus Christ so that they can begin to bear good fruit.